Welcome to the greatest show in all of educational media. That's, that doesn't have yeah. quite the same ring to it. No. That uh, like P.T. Barnum would have been it. Maybe i got to have a little more panache to it. Something like you know? that. But then if I do that, I'm going to make the mic peak and I'm just going to ruin the episode. So I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Uh, I did, however, have the best idea ever for the name of our tea shop that we're going to open up in the space where our favorite tea shop is that, closed. Is that true? And hire all the employees and bring back the entire stock of everything they used to sell, even though we only used to buy like one or two things. Yes. Uh, what's the name? Infinity. Infinity. That probably exists. I bet you it does. That's a pretty it, good name. It has to exist. That's got it. Martin. It's like such a great, it's like, you know, Portmanteau is pretty cool. Yeah. In fact, there's an entire album by uh, the band Norma Jean and... Not your kind of music. I can pretty yeah, much no guarantee that, that is. right off the bat because they're like the hardcoreist metalcore, at least back when they released this the second album. Oh. But all every song title is Portmanteau. That's like cool. Disconnect Tie and Characterantula and a bunch of really cool. Yeah, I think it's called Oh God the Aftermath. It's their second album, and I love it, but it's not for you. Sounds edgy. It's not for you, Martin. It is a little edgy. Yeah. Um. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the College Info Geek podcast. For those of you watching this on YouTube, I've been trying to upgrade our little lighting setup recently, uh, and it has come to my attention that we are coming up on episode 200. That's we've true. We've gotten a few questions of like, hey, what are you going to do for episode 200? Um, this is 199, and obviously it's not 200. It's not. It's 200 minus 1. So what I'm going to do is at 200 minus 1, because I'm a contrarian, I'm going to talk about my plans for 200. Oh, okay. And uh, my plans for 200 are really nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, record a podcast. You, you'd think that all the pomp and circumstance would be saved for this uh, double sanitarian episode here. But I honestly don't get excited by um, milestone numbers anymore. Yeah. Like the main YouTube channel is fast approaching 1 million subscribers. And I, I remember when I was a beginning YouTuber, that sounded like the coolest thing ever. And it will be cool when I hit it, but I, I've met enough deadlines or enough milestones at this point that I've kind of come to realize you still have to do all the same work once you yeah. hit that milestone. Yeah, I it's feel not like, like once you get there, it'll be like, oh, that's cool. I have heard anyway. that like Regis Philbin and Beyonce actually come to your door with a giant trophy and then... You get to be paraded in the streets yeah. of your city. Uh, I've always wanted specifically you. those two. Yes, that is exactly. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why I came up with that. Well, I know why I came up with Beyonce because she's going to be mentioned in this episode, but that doesn't happen. Um, I will pass one million. I will probably Instagram it, and a bunch of people will go, "Whoa, this is cool!" And then uh, I will get back to work. Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to lose them. Yeah, and exactly. Then it doesn't matter anymore. I do want to take this opportunity, though, to talk about some changes, quote-unquote changes, that we are going to make to this podcast going forward. Uh, and, I mean, we, you and I have talked about this, so you yeah. kind of have an idea of it, and maybe you have some thoughts to shape it. But it, it is no secret that you and I are far beyond college-aged at this point. Oh, don't say far. Oh. You and I have been out of college for longer than college was. Don't say that to me. At this point, I believe. Well, I may. I don't know if I have yet. Oh well, wait, no. Let, you, okay, let, you wait. were in college for six years. So yeah, because I went to community good. college first. You're so good. I'm still you're good. Fine. But I went to college from August 2009 to May 2013. It is now 2018, which means it is coming up on five years since mm. I graduated, and I was only in college for four years. So. We are going to continue to run the College Info Geek podcast because I don't much care that the title is what it is for now. That's the name of the show. It's pretty established. Yeah. But going forward, we are going to be discussing some topics that are a little more interesting to us at times, or maybe like some topics that are going to be slightly beyond college. So if you are a student, you're definitely still going to get student focused episodes, but we're going to start mixing in episodes that maybe will prepare you for the life beyond higher education. Yeah. And not everybody that listens is a student. Yeah. And, There's a lot uh, of people. I mean, we've been podcasting for, well, you've been podcasting with me for 
probably over two years at this point. I've been podcasting for five years. There are people listening to this who are done with school. Yeah. And they still listen. I mean, there's there's a guy who com- who comments on the YouTube version of almost every episode, and I'm pretty sure he is like far beyond college. I don't know what his age is, but I'm pretty sure that he is he's much beyond college. So and then we've got a lot of people who are graduating who are trying to figure out adult life. Yeah. So in addition to us doing episodes, um, like a very soon to be coming in the future one on exam prep, we'll be doing episodes on maybe what to consider when you're buying a house for the first time or, you know, how to make friends in a new city yeah, if you like, get a job there, like that like kind of life. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, consider it um, half college info geek, half life info geek coming in the future. And hopefully people will stick around because, you know, the intent is to prepare people to live a great life. Yeah. Well, and a lot of those lessons do apply something no matter what age you are. Yeah, exactly. It's just that we can't. We can't, like, every single episode talk about very specific to school stuff. And, in fact, yeah. this series isn't specific to school. What, we're, what yeah. we're talking about, influence, that has nothing to do with school in particular. It's just psychology. Yeah, so, and, I mean, looking looking through the past, I don't know, many episodes, I, I think this has been a theme that we've already been kind of... Yeah, we're just embracing it to. now. Yeah, we're, just we're embracing, embracing it. it. We want to let go of the pressure to always be student-focused because we just can't. And even my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel has a better excuse because it's under my name. So while people kind of know me as like the student focused channel, it's my name and new people will find me and they're like, oh, there's just this weird guy, Thomas Frank, talking about Elon Musk. That's pretty cool. And I have no idea that is connected to school tips, you know, but the title of this podcast, I think, brings along this sort of expectation that it's always going to be something for a high school or a college student. And, um... It's not. Yeah. We'll just put it that way. Including this episode. Yeah, like we've already been doing it. We're just embracing it because I don't want to tell the same stories from like increasingly longer ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. Back when I was taking a class 30 years ago, it's not going to be as compelling. So we got to like kind of shift and still talk about student-focused stuff, but try to embrace the other side so that we're not stale. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of funny when I hear somebody that I know who's a little bit older than me tell a story that involves a blue book. I don't know if you've ever had to use one of these. I think once. Yeah, apparently in college, uh, in, in years yonder in the past, there were these blue books and you would write your essays for tests Yeah, it was in just them. to like keep you from cheating or some nonsense that didn't really make sense to me because I feel like yeah. paper would have done that, but whatever. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to have like some cool like restricted item to make it seem fancier i don't know they just want to exert their control over you man yeah it's just the man keeping fight you against down. the man dude and that's that's this whole series is about fighting against the man but i never once had to use a blue book in college not once hmm. so anytime someone told me a story about using the blue book for an exam i was just thinking you are an old man and <laughs> at this point me saying I do they even use web ct or blackboard anymore i don't know i don't know i imagine they use Back- blackboard Back in my day, we had these things called pencils. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. <laughs> and floppy disks. That one's real, though. You mean like Apple pencils? That one's really old. You're talking about the Apple pencil, right? Yeah, the Apple pencil that everybody has. In, That's in the their only kind now. of pencil that has ever existed. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Otherwise, you know, sparkling gel pens. Oh, man, that dates me. <sighs> those are fun, though. Those were fun, but they don't, people don't do those anymore. You know? Yet. Bring it back. <laughs> like this, if you were a 90s kid. Look at this light bright. Look at this Lisa Frank poster. Gross. (laughs) Are we BuzzFeed? There's some principles of influence right there. Similarity. Social proof. I mean, I like all those things, but I don't want to make a weird 90s pandering BuzzFeed article. You don't want to do that? No. Dang it. That was my entire business strategy going forward into the future. I got nothing now. Actually, what I do have is a lot of notes uh, for this particular episode. So this is the conclusion to our Weapons of Influence series, which was a bit of an experiment because, I mean, we stretched out a book analysis over six episodes. I thought it was pretty cool. I would be curious to hear, though, what people thought of this more in-depth analysis. Oh, yeah, yeah, because we've done plenty of books that were one episode. Yeah. Is that is that better than this? Is this better than that? That's good to know. Mm-hmm. You know? The books you read are fairly in-depth. It's true. It, it seemed like this book just really lent itself well to a, a series like this. Yeah. And now that it's over, I am excited to be able to do a wrap-up video on my main channel in mm. which I can tell people, hey, we've done a whole six-episode miniseries 
on this. So if you want to dig into one of these concepts with a lot of detail, uh, head over to the podcast. Cool. So it might be pretty cool little podcast marketing strategy there. All right. So the final weapon of influence that we're going to be discussing in this series is scarcity, which is a pretty darn powerful one. And would you say that is incorrect to assume that scarcity is, if not the most used tactic in business, it is the most blatant one? I mean, it's the first one where I can just list a bunch of examples where I'm like, yeah, the only reason I do that is because of scarcity. What are you going to do? Yeah. And a lot of white people are so unhappy, at least feeling that way these days with the internet and stuff, I think is related to scarcity as well. I think it's everywhere. With the internet? Yeah. How so? Well, uh, part of scarcity is the scarcity of a chance. You don't want to miss your chance to get something, right? So my one of my personal examples is that I, uh, in general, bought every new kind of Oreo, even though I was like, this is dumb, <laughs> because I was like, but it's limited time. And also there was some consistency in there, because once I had started... You are the Oreo guy. Yeah. yeah. Granted, I'm, I'm breaking that. I didn't buy the newest two flavors that I'm very aware of right now okay. on purpose to try and, and, try and stop that. They're just bugging oh, you. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Every time I see them, I'm like, they're right there. They're going to go away. So mm-hmm. that one's an obvious. I'm going to lose my chance to get these. They're limited time. Yeah. But with social media and everything, you, you, you look at all these successful people doing all this fancy nonsense, and we have all this freedom, and we think, technically speaking, I have the chance and the choice to try and do that. But then you see the 80 other things you have the chance and choice to do. So then we're mostly aware of how many chances we are actually missing out on by choosing not to do them right now. And so instead of choosing one of them, we become paralyzed with the fear of all the chances we're losing. So you're kind of saying... Whereas, like, I don't think, you know, like like a farmer in, like, the 1700s was all that concerned about whether he had traveled the world. This is probably true. Because if you never saw it as a chance... Yeah. Then you don't care that you didn't have it. I don't care that I am not an astronaut right now. I have not once assumed that that was even slightly plausible for my life. In fact, I think there are actually strict physical requirements that I maybe don't fit. I don't know. But I've never considered it plausible for me to be an astronaut. So I don't care that I'm not being an astronaut. But if I I think it's plausible for me to travel and to have a blog and to get a YouTube following and and to sell a bunch of stuff, then I will be aware that I am right now choosing not to do most of those things. That's true. And it hurts. Well, I will say that being a normal astronaut is no longer the coolest thing. Oh, because no. Because now you can be a Tesla in space driving astronaut, Aww. probably, and, and you know, driving a space car. But see, car. I, don't, I don't even consider that plausible, so I don't care that I'm not doing that. That's true. Uh, I will also note that if anybody listening to this is sad that they're not an astronaut, um, I don't want to discourage you from going and trying to be an astronaut, but go read the book uh, Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. That will give you some perspective that may change the amount of sadness you feel about not being an astronaut. (laughs) I read that book and I thought, okay, I would never want to be an astronaut and I never want to go to Mars. I'm totally fine staying on Earth. You know, I'm happy that other people want to be astronauts. That is amazing. But being an astronaut is like being a ridiculously overqualified, highly educated trucker. (laughs) I mean, it kind of that, that makes sense. It's kind of I could it's see kind that. of what it is. Like part of the requirements for being an astronaut, you're just driving a are ship. That you have to be able to to deal with long stretches of boredom, because you are either going into orbit or you're just sitting there observing things. There's like a lot of downtime where there's really nothing to do. You're sitting in a seat, you can't do much of anything. Or you're in a suit where your your movement is restricted. And then I don't even want to get into like the the gross necessities of everyday life but suffice it to say in zero g they're very difficult it's tough to exercise yeah, that doesn't sound fun tough to eat tough to shower tough to do anything like that so yeah it's not that fun but i, I didn't expect you to take that tack with uh, the whole opportunity cost of, of seeing all these opportunities out there and realizing that your time is the scarce asset yeah and uh and realizing like all these people are doing all these things but you don't have enough time to do it all so you, you know that yeah. you're losing some of them yeah, it's really tough. And it feels real bad. I think that, yeah, that is actually a pretty bad downside of the internet is you constantly get this super tailored, excellently produced highlight reel of all these people doing amazing things. And if you have any ounce of ambition whatsoever, 
you're going to yeah. naturally well, want to do I think all it's those a downside things. to having so much choice. Like yeah. freedom, freedom is great, but freedom from freedom is sometimes useful in certain c- circumstances. It's hard to make a choice when you have so many things and you're like, once I make this, I lose all those other th- things that I didn't choose. Mm-hmm. And Freedom is slavery. And the thing is, w- with loss aversion, we value things we thought we already had more than things we don't have. So yeah. I don't care that I don't have chances I never thought I had, but a chance I know I had that I'm giving up feels really bad to lose. Yeah, I remember in... All years of school, public school, anytime I would bring gum to school and anytime I would take out my pack of gum to chew a piece of gum that I bought, immediately the people around me were like freaking sharks. They see the gum. Oh, can I have a piece of gum? And I would always get so frustrated because in my mind, there was just this realization that these people had absolutely no desire or care in the world to chew gum until they saw my pack of gum. And yeah. <laughs> now they're mooching hardcore off me. And I'm like, why? Why do you need this? You didn't want it five seconds ago. It wasn't even in your head. But now it's like the if you don't get gum, you're going to be so sad. And I think it's it's the scarcity thing. You realize, oh, there's a resource that just popped into my consciousness. And oh, I just realized I wanted that. And there's only like six pieces. And if he puts it back in his pocket, it's going to be gone. It's yeah. like an opportunity that pops up. Yeah. And I, I want to get into a bunch of like the more basic stuff on scarcity that he talks about earlier in the chapter. But I think this is actually a very good segue into something that uh, is talked about later in the chapter, which he called psychological reactance. Yeah. So just to, to put this in uh, context or to build the foundation here, essentially the scarcity principle is that when people realize that a resource is scarce, that its availability is limited, they want it more. And this is generally, like all principles of influence, uh, a good thing. You know, if something is scarce, it probably means that it's good. If there's like a tree full of delicious, amazing apples and people are rushing for it, your your primitive brain will probably tell you, hey, that's good food. You should probably go get that. Yeah. You know, uh, or, you know, there's a, a herd of buffalo or something like that's probably nutritious. You should probably go get that. Um, but it's really easy to exploit this as well. Like me saying, actually, only the first 5,000 people who download the next episode are going to get to listen to it. After that, we're deleting it off the server. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that would, that would be absurd. <laughs> that would be really absurd. It would not do well for us. I mean, that would just be kind of like a shot in the foot because 5,000 people already download the podcast. More than 5,000 people do that. And yeah, then just it, cut it, it off. It doesn't make sense unless you set a number that's higher than what you expected. Only the first... One million people who listen to this podcast. I think that might be too high. I think that's not going to do anything. Good <laughs> translation. Everyone gets to listen to this podcast episode, but but you might not be able to. Yeah, worry about know, it. If like Oprah tweets about my podcast, you might be in trouble. That's you the never next know. Goal. Get Oprah to tweet about the podcast. Yeah. What if we just emailed Oprah and asked her to tweet our podcast out? I don't know. What do you think would happen? I have no idea. You think she would? Is it Oprah at gmail.com? How do you email Oprah? <laughs> maybe it's Oprah at gmail.com. Or maybe that's like a scammer. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, she'll just probably. Oh, here's what we do we send her a bunch of vinyl copies of one of our podcast episodes, and she puts them under the seat of everyone in her audience. You get a copy of the vinyl College of Vogue podcast, podcast episode 200. Episode. I, that's not even original. That's weird. Hello Internet did it. In fact, Hello Internet did it, hmm. and they recorded a special episode. That is not available to the public, and you can only Ooh, listen to it. it. Yeah, it is scarcity, actually. There it is. You it can it only, is everywhere. That's how you do it with the podcast. Brady Heron already did it. You can only listen to that episode if you bought the vinyl, and it was a limited press. So there's a few people out there who got to listen to that episode, and unless they happened to upload it to a pirating website, nobody else gets it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with that freaking Wu-Tang album. Yep. That nobody gets to listen to. And I didn't even think about this. You were telling me a while ago how angry you were that Kurt Vonnegut had written a short story that's been Oh, no, no. He's dead. David Mitchell did it. David Mitchell. David Mitchell. Okay, so David Mitchell wrote a story, apparently, like a short story. And he's the guy who wrote uh, Cloud Atlas. He wrote Thousand Autumns of Jakob Gazoot, right? Jakob Gazoot, yeah. One of your favorite authors. He apparently wrote this short story. But it was placed in this time capsule that is only going to be opened 100 years from now. Yeah, it's some like fancy artistic project where they're going to get a whole bunch of authors to write stories that can't 
be read. Mm -hmm. And then they're like planting a forest and they're going to make the books from that forest in a hundred years. And like it's real fancy and hipster and artsy. Mm. But the thing is, I will almost certainly, unless we make drastic changes in lifespan, I will die before that happens. So I know that there is something I can't have unless we drastically change lifespan expectancies. The whole point of College Info Geek is to build a ridiculous business empire that will allow us to augment our bodies with cyborg and cybernetic parts. If it lets me read that book, it's just, you know, if it was like 50 years from now, I wouldn't be as mad, you know, because I'd be like, someday I I can get there. Yeah. But but I'm just like, there's almost no way I will certainly miss out on this book, and I want it. You shouldn't have let me know that it was written. How long ago was it buried? Yeah, that's the tough thing. It's, it's supposed to be like 2117 or some, some somewhere. Okay, so you're it was recently done. Yeah. It wasn't like it was yeah, done Yeah, so I ago. will be dead. Because <laughs> I think, I think the oldest fair. man who ever lived on record was some Japanese guy who lived to 120. So even he was seven years. See, that would be pretty that's, beneath the requirement. That, that's still pretty. Uh, I'd be cutting it close. That's true. You're, you're like on your deathbed. Your your vision is just going. I can't read anymore. You read the first word. It's just the word the. It's so beautiful. It's so, <laughs> tear comes to your eye. But yeah, it's like if I didn't know I about that, be. I wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me. But mm-hmm. now that I know that there is something that exists that maybe I could read if I get in real close with the people running the project, or I do a yeah. spy movie kind of thing. Yeah, well, you should do it. Yeah, that's what they'll do the whole Splinter Cell thing with the three eye night vision goggles and the lasers. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. Anyway, so this principle of psychological reactance, um, it basically sums up the idea that people view an item as more valuable when the scarcity is due to um, a diminishing supply or due to demand. So basically, like if it is put in front of them and then take it away, taken away, it's like really desirable but it also makes people really mad when it happens yeah so i thought this was really interesting because i think a while ago maybe even as part of the series i can't remember we talked about or or speculated upon the possibility or we spec we were speculating on why um revolts and revolutions happen and i think we had speculated that people who had been given freedoms and then had them taken away are the people who typically incite revolts. This chapter actually confirmed that. Yeah. This chapter said that revolts and revolutions are usually not incited by people who have been downtrodden forever, who have basically accepted that it is their lot in life to be a slave or to have no rights. It's the people who have been given some freedom for a while and then had it taken away that really get mad and take action. And a really good example of this that was talked about in the book was from the Soviet Union. So ever since Lenin and the Soviet uprising that took over the, um, I guess it was the Bolsheviks, I think, they took over the uh, monarch system with the czars and instated that government back in, I think it was like World War I period, there had been this Soviet system that was pretty restrictive, uh, pretty authoritarian. And then Gorbachev gets into power And he had this policy called Glasnost, and I think there was another one that I can't remember the name of, but essentially it was trying to give some more freedoms to the people. Well, what ended up happening is some hardliners from the military who really did not like these new policies staged a coup, took over the government temporarily, um, and they tried to reinstate all these old Soviet policies where everyone was a lot more restricted in what they could do, there was curfews and all this kind of stuff. And everyone thought, including them, including the rest of the world, that the Soviet people would basically roll over and take it. Because from their perspective, that's how they had always lived. That was the Soviet way, to live under the authoritarian thumb and just deal with it. And this didn't happen. They actually kind of revolted. There was a lot of resistance against the military forces and the police. And eventually, the pressure mounted so much that the people who had staged the coup had to give up and beg mercy from Gorbachev. I have no idea what happened to those people. Typically, people who stage something coups good? don't get mercy. Is it something yeah. good? Yeah, actually, they were um, they were given a good try sticker and sent <laughs> on their way. That would actually be great because it's more condescending. <laughs> <laughs> really condescending. Like, you have to live feeling really ashamed of that time you failed. That is true, but if um, the governments of the world have learned anything from the exile of Napoleon, it is that when someone stages a coup against you, you don't let them live. 
this, I fine. think that's just kind of like a lesson that's Napoleon been learned was a nice history. guy. It's fine. Yeah, and that that's actually something that fascinates me is um, like the most heinous crime you can actually commit is something that threatens the existing power structure. Because again, I think that's actually kind of a reflection of this principle here. People who are in power do not want to have their power taken away. So any threat to the power structure is perceived as a worse crime than anything that you would think is like objectively worse. So like even light treason, people would freak out more at that than something worse that was not, you know, a threat to the governmental structure or a threat to somebody's power. Yeah, like you'd be more of an enemy of a state if you if you did some sort of treasonous thing as opposed to if you were just a serial killer. Then they're just like, oh, he's a serial killer. That's terrible. Yeah. But we don't have like a holiday about when we got rid of this guy for some reason. But yeah. everybody would band behind getting rid of somebody who was a traitor. Yeah, exactly. So, and another thing that I, I found interesting about this whole psychological reactance thing is um, it applies to information as well. So when you're told that oh, you cannot yeah. have access to information... You want it more. And the book talked about how apparently in, in court cases, sometimes information will be presented and then the judge will say that information is inadmissible in court. So, and he'll tell the jury, you are not allowed to use this information in your judgment. And then studies have shown that juries actually use that information more than information that they yeah. have not been told they aren't allowed to use. Yeah, we don't like being... T Once we have... <laughs> you cannot give us a right or a freedom or a power and then take it away without a fight. Mm -hmm. Don't give us a taste of the good life. And th the book didn't talk about this. It may have been too early, but um, there's something called the Streisand effect where basically when somebody really wants information to be suppressed, it tends to spread faster because the um, you know the restriction on it and the censorship makes it more desirable. So the immediate thing, I don't really know what Barbara Streisand was trying to have covered up, but I do know there's this particular photo of Beyonce that Beyonce really doesn't like. I think it's her at like a Super Bowl halftime performance, but I don't know. She's like flexing and making this really oh, it's hilarious like, one of, like snapped at the, the wrong yeah. time. It's either snapped at the wrong time or it's just a frame from the video. Yeah. And I mean, like I, I know from being a YouTuber, if you stop at nearly any frame in my videos, I look like an idiot. And it's funny. <laughs> yeah, there's this photo of Beyonce, and she's just like, Ugh! and people have photoshopped her like deadlifting 500 pounds because that's kind of what it looks like she's doing. And I think she tried to suppress this photo, or her agency did. And, of course, it has just spread like wildfire on the Internet and yeah. is the, you know, the uh, butt of many jokes and memes. At this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I thought it was really interesting. The, one of the examples you gave was like at this university, and I don't remember where it was, but they somebody wanted to give a speech. Um, I think it was against co-ed dorms. Mm. And then yep. they, they said, we're not allowing them to give the speech. And then the general attitude among the students was now more against co-ed dorms. Just yep. because, like they started to agree with an argument they never heard simply is... because the man was trying to keep it down. Yeah, which is really funny because you'd think that students would. Yeah, want I don't understand. Norms? I don't know. Anyway, my camera's about to shut off, so we're gonna take a quick break. And we're back from our technologically imposed uh, ad break yeah. time period. It's like always at thirty minutes. It has to be. Yeah. So but... that that's uh, psychological reactance, and that was discussed pretty late in the chapter. So I think now we're gonna go back to some of the the more basic principles. I think. Okay. Um, so he talked about this uh, this Mormon church in this town. Yeah. And apparently in the Mormon church, there are these inner sanctum rooms that nobody except for super high brass in the Mormon church is allowed to see, except when the Mormon church does renovations. And if there's like a renovation or if there's a new church built or there's a renovation that is extensive enough to be declared like a new church in the same building they'll have like a few days where the public can come in and see these inner sanctums. And Robert Cialdini himself was saying, I really felt like I wanted to go and see this until a friend pointed out, you've never expressed interest in going to see the inside of a church before. So why now? And it was, it was literally because of this whole limited time offer only thing. Yeah. You can't do it at any other time. It was never a possibility before, so you didn't care. It's a possibility now, and yeah. it's going away, so freak out about it. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of the events we go to are in part because of that. 
it's a limited time thing. You can only go see the lights at the botanical gardens for yeah, just like two well, nights. You know, I'll tell you that I've gone to those pretty consistently, but when there's something that happens every week, it takes me a long time to go because yep. I'm like, actually, I'm busy today. It's not limited time. There's no pressure. That's true. Yeah. There's actually, there's a swing dancing class in Denver that Anna and I have wanted to go to ever since we moved here and we haven't gone yet because again, it's every Sunday. So we always find some excuse to not go. Yeah. You know, and it could just be like, I'm making dinner. <laughs> it could, yeah. It doesn't you know, even have to be a good reason. As long as you know that freedom doesn't go away, it doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in that case, it actually could be useful. Like the scarcity principle could be very beneficial to people because it will get them to go out and actually do things. Yeah. You know, so, and that's something that I think about a lot with, you know, um, education. Like, is it better to somewhat restrict educational opportunities a little bit so people actually take them more seriously? And I think of this because I have, I've like bought, courses or I've bought access to certain things that have made me more serious about completing them because I've kind of like put some skin into the game and because they weren't super easily accessible all the time forever. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, do you think that's, that's worth doing like literally just to increase the buy-in essentially? I think that there are certainly cases where that would make sense where you need somebody to know they're psychologically invested Mm -hmm. because it, it, there are plenty of situations where somebody will, I don't know, do a lot of posturing. Like, I'm about to be so productive. I'm about to do this such a great goal for humanity, for me, for my family. Yeah. Shout out to mom. And then they just, <laughs> you know, they do it for a day. And then they're, eh, I could do it next week. Yeah. I could I could start this goal next week. So I will. And unfortunately for me, next week is a variable. And it's never actually next week. It's always yeah. this week. So then you never do it because there's no pressure. Well, actually, so one really good example of this that I just thought of, um, every time I go to a conference and I go to the talks there, I pay really close attention to the talks. And when I come out of them, I'm ridiculously motivated. I've taken a bunch of notes and I'm super excited to go put everything into action that I've learned, which is kind of funny because basically any talk that I go to at any conference is online somewhere. If not that talk, that content. Yeah. You can watch every TED talk that has ever been done because they record them and they put them on the TED website. You can go onto YouTube and watch all the TED talks you want. Um, If you want to watch, say, the talks that I've done at conferences, a lot of them are online. The one I did for FinCon is online. But not a whole lot of people are chomping at the bit to go watch my talks online and a lot of people will casually watch a TED Talk and they don't get that invested in it. They don't get that motivated. They don't put it into action. And yet they do go to an event and they put it into action. And I think that this scarcity principle is actually a big part of that because the event is time restricted. It's only happening at this time. You can't go to it next week and you probably have to pay for it. So there's like this scarcity aspect that requires some buy-in. And I think people value it more, even though the content is the same. Hmm. You know, I can watch Gary Vaynerchuk on stage at a conference or I can watch him on his podcast. He's going to say the same exact things every single time. You just got to hustle and work 18 hours a day. I worked in a liquor store, never saw my dad. But it's going to have a a greater impact if you're watching him in person and you know you can't do that next week. So I think that in this case, the scarcity principle can actually be very useful, even if it is in the same context, somewhat exploited by the people who are maybe selling tickets to the event. Yeah, well, I think, and this is sort of skipping to the summary of the book, but in general, all of these psychological factors for influence can and will be exploited, always, as Mm -hmm. long as they're exploitable. But the thing is, they're mental shortcuts, Yeah, and we need to take them sometimes. And I think he was talking about how, like, in the beginning of book, in the beginning of the book, he mentions how turkeys or whatever can be trained to accidentally try to mother a stuffed polecat, an enemy of theirs, as long as it has a cheap, cheap recording. Yeah. So like, we're all like, we're smarter than animals. We don't just respond to really, really easily manipulated instincts, you know. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if that's their way of coping with a world that's really complex. 
we've created a complex world through technology and society and civilization, and now we've made it so complex that we need to take the same mental shortcuts mm-hmm. because we can't handle making every decision every day in a normal way. So yeah. people trying to use these, as long as the product they're getting us in is good mm-hmm. or whatever they're doing is actually useful and they're not lying to us, it's not a bad thing if they try to sell it a little faster by tricking me into thinking it's scarce. Yeah, I get limited time food from uh, Native Foods all the time because they're like, hey, this is only here this weekend. And I'm like, that does look delicious. And I know I'm only jumping at it because it's temporary, but I do want it anyway. Usually it is. So so it's good. I'm not mad about it. Yeah. It's like we should only be mad at the people manipulating us and then having like a deceitful or uh, like purpose or product because then they're telling us you're not allowed to use your shortcuts anymore. I think, yeah, that was the way he put it is we should – the enemy is – the person that tries to exploit our shortcuts and like lies about what we get. You're breaking my ability to cope with this world. Right. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't break my ability to cope with the world. Uh, So let's talk about a few of the ways that people exploit this um, beyond the whole psychological reactance and stuff like that. And this will be kind of like our little wrap up for the episode. So one of the most um, blatant examples is sales. Yeah. Limited time offer. And I noticed this yesterday. So there is a very specific brand of uh, pasta sauce that I buy. It's called Rouse and it is the best. But every time I go to Whole Foods, so it's it's like $10 a jar. Maybe it's like $9 a jar for a 24 ounce jar usually. But every single time I go to Whole Foods, it's on sale for $5 a jar. Nice. Every time. And every time it's out of stock. At least the, the normal flavor. So I think that it's just five dollars, but it's on sale five dollars. Oh yeah, but always. if but if you well that's like stores constantly lie about sales, raise the price and then tell them it's twenty percent off and put it at mm-hmm. the regular price because then now you're like, Well not only is that a good deal, but if I don't act now, maybe I'm gonna miss out on it and they don't have to pay that ridiculous nine dollar price for this pasta sauce. Yeah. I think this is actually illegal in certain countries. Stock up. But not here. And I think I read at one point. <laughs> ain't that just the way. It, yeah, ain't that just the we way. We always do that. So Grand Theft Auto V uh, was notorious for remaining full price for such a long time after it was a new game. And I'll have to look up the details or maybe we can have them in the show notes. But there was some controversy over Steam doing their Steam deals. And Steam does Steam deals like what every six months probably yeah they have this huge gigantic sale there's always some cool little you know fun thing about it but the gist is everything is on sale you can get games for like two dollars most games are 50 percent off or 30 percent off and i think what grand theft auto 5 did or i guess the publisher of the game did was they quietly raised the price to higher than retail before the sale and then their sale price was right around full price so, and there was like a bunch of people angry about this. And I think they, they kind of disguised it by making it this bundle with a little bit of DLC. So it wasn't just straight up Grand Theft Auto V on sale for 60 bucks, which would have been ridiculous and very easy to spot. But even so, with the DLC, uh, people were able to clearly see what they were doing. And I think this is a really great example of deception using these shortcuts, using these mental heuristics uh, for ill-gotten game. Yeah, and you see, I'm not mad about all the games that I bought and will never touch because they were super cheap on Steam sales. That's true. But that <laughs> one, which is deceptive, is the one people would be mad about. Mm-hmm. Like, how many people with Steam accounts have, like, 40 games they're never going to touch? A lot of them, at least several I know. <laughs> uh, but Me. you're only mad about the one that was deceptive. I think Chris has... Three or four hundred, yeah, Steam games, yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> and I know he hasn't played all of them. I probably have eighty or so, and I play like five of them. <laughs> so yeah, Steam deals are tempting. And say what you want about them, I really don't have a problem with Steam. Hello, scarce light source again. I value it. Yeah, I value it now <laughs> that I know it's only going to last like forty minutes. Um, I'm never angry at Steam, even though it somehow convinces me to buy a bunch of games I'll never play. Because I know, like, it's my choice to play those games. I now have access to them. And they're putting them on sale. There's there's nothing deceptive about that. It's just a gigantic fire sale. But 
the GTA 5 thing where you raise the price and then your sale price is the normal price, that is a great example of that deception that should be avoided. Um, another really um, bad thing or and, you know, good example of deception here was the boiler rooms that they talked about in the book. Uh, and I just thought of the movie with uh, Ben Affleck and Vin Diesel in it. But essentially, sometimes people's contact information will fall into the hands of an unscrupulous group of people. And uh, it will be sent to what they call a boiler room. And a boiler room is just basically like a high-pressure sales call center. I think that's why they call it a boiler room because it's very high-pressure. So what they'll do is they'll get your contact information somehow, uh, not through us because we're nice people who don't sell email addresses illegally, but some people do this. And they'll email you, or back in the day they would call you, and they probably still do this. And they'll say, hey, I've got this trade of a lifetime, but unfortunately it's not available right now. So the whole idea is dangle this carrot in front of their face and then take it away. And then a little while later, they'll get a call from another trader saying, hey, I just came off the trading floor. The trade is now available for a limited time. And they'll get these people to invest in you know, dubious nightclubs or silver or, or stocks that never, ever make a return. And they'll essentially just steal these people's money. Or they'll take a huge commission off of it and it's a penny stock that actually ends up going to zero. Yay. So this is another great example of the scarcity principle. Uh, the trade is no longer available. Oh, wait, but now it is. Another great example was the vacuum salesman who said, it's company policy for me to only visit a house once because we have so many potential customers. Yeah, that policy wouldn't even make any sense. I would just laugh at that guy. Like, you want to sell things. There's no way you won't come back if I want it. Exactly. Am I, so you're trying to tell me right now that if I call you later and I say, hey, I want to buy a vacuum. You're going to say, sorry, you missed your chance. Yeah, like, no way. But it's no. still compelling. It's still a compelling yeah. scarcity thing, even if it doesn't make any sense. It's true. Yeah. So I think that, that can bring us into the how to say no section. Yeah. Uh, and he, he talks about how to say no, and he has a couple of different responses or um, a couple of different strategies here. But what he didn't note, or I guess what he didn't explicitly note, maybe I didn't remember it, is ask yourself, how legitimate is this scarcity play? Oh, that's, so in the case of that's one the vacuum cleaner salesman, am I really not going to be able to buy a vacuum cleaner if I don't buy it right now? Are you really not going to sell it to me? And if you won't sell it to me, I'm pretty sure there are other Kirby vacuum salesmen in the area that I can call. So you are going to sell it to me because yeah. you want that commission, that sweet commission. And the other things he mentioned were, um, one, you want to notice when you have the rise in the emotional state due to scarcity. So if you're, say, buying a car, and then you start to realize, I really want to buy this car, and you notice that it's because maybe there's another buyer there who's also looking at it, take note of that. Yeah, because, like, our instinct makes us emotional yeah. about scarcity, and then we stop thinking logically. Yeah, exactly. So it's a dangerous spot. You're all high-strung, and you're just like, oh, I got to get that before the other guy gets it. Uh, and then stage two after that, Ask yourself why you want the item. So maybe you want it to possess it. Maybe you want the social status or whatever it is. Maybe you just want to own it. In which case he says, all right, use the availability of the item to gauge how much you're willing to pay for it. Like a Black Lotus, $20,000. Yeah, $20,000. I you, want If it. you want to just own it, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, also, our P.O. box is at the bottom of any uh, email in the College Info yeah, newsletter. And if Black you want Lotus. to send us a Black Lotus, uh, we won't be mad. <laughs> but the other the other option here is, do you want the item for its functionality, which is probably more likely. Now, okay, if you are a rich guy and you want to buy a Rolex watch, you are probably buying that watch mainly for its social status, for looking really cool. Yeah, that's the only reason you would pay that much. So you would pay $5,000. And, I mean, you can look into the markups of the jewelry industry. It is nuts i remember overhearing a conversation at a bar once of some guy who was like selling rings online and he, he said like i'm selling them for 150 a piece and i get them for 25 cents from china and i was just like what yeah it's absurd <laughs> and it kind of makes sense because it's just it's a tiny hunk of metal you know and it's, yeah there's no it's, it's like so i mean small. even even gold the functionality for me having gold would be what am I going to do with this? But yeah. its scarcity is what gives it value. It's why people exactly. think it means anything. The, the, the only the only real utility of gold <clears throat> is the fact that gold is 
nicely divisible. Yeah. So it, it, work, it functions well as a currency. But the same could be said for nickel. So really it is just gold scarce. And for some reason, humans yeah. want things that are scarce. So this weird shiny rock that really does nothing for me is kind of a non-useful element for most uses. Uh, I it, want it still. <laughs> yeah. And like I think a good example of uh, the functionality versus possession thing is, is like with books. I have a first edition signed copy of The Thousand Autumns of Jakob de Zoot now mm. because uh, Ashley got it for my birthday, and it's super awesome. Mm-hmm. That is worth money. I want to own it to own it. But if all I wanted was to read that book again, I have it on Kindle, or I could buy it on Kindle, or I could buy a regular edition that costs, like, nothing. There would be no reason to get the special stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm trying to think of... if What do I have that's a non-functional thing? I don't honestly know. Uh, your real magic cards as opposed to proxies? Unless you're going to, like, events, because the functionality among mm. friends we already had. I think I, I really wanted a bunch of but then uh, we wanted real cards. We wanted real versions of the cards that, because that it's be fancier. Real. I guess, yeah, I guess But we already fancier. played. That's true, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of times, I don't know. I like. I think maybe that there's, maybe there's a mix going on, and maybe intelligent marketers actually are very aware that when you mix a little bit of functionality with status, it's a much easier pill to swallow. So well, yeah. I went to a clothing store once, and they were talking to me about these dress shirts they sold. And obviously, it's a high-end clothing store, so I'm going to be wearing clothes that not a whole lot of people are wearing. Clearly, there's a scarcity play there. Clearly, there's a status play there. But mainly, the sales points that they were telling me about were the material this shirt is made of is much higher quality than what you get at the store in the mall, and it's going to last you way longer. So a lot of times I think skilled salespeople understand that there's this whole division between functionality and status and they try to muddy it a bit. So you have to work to kind of detangle that. Yeah. I don't know. I've been like looking around the room asking myself like what here is status based? A lot of these things are very function based. I don't know, but maybe like the maybe the car I bought is status based. I and suppose you could have gotten a cheaper car probably. Yeah. It, it it all it does is drive you places. I mean, like, functionality-wise... You can wise, have some quality difference. I, I wanted a car that was powerful because I enjoy having a car that has a, some kick to it, but... Now, do you, you enjoy know, that for the functionality of needing a kick to it? Yes. Or? Yes, I do. I actually do. Like, okay. being able... I don't know, like, it, I find it very fun and satisfying to okay. be able That's to functionality speed up really if you quickly. think it's fun to do that. Okay. I like that. Like, it's it, not just, like, I'm fun. powerful. No, no, it is actually fun to me. Okay. Like, when I drive a boring car with, like, a, you know, four-cycle, 200-horsepower wimpy engine, I'm like, eh, this is not as fun. So, but, you know, I looked at the body style. There's probably some parts in my brain going, eh, that looks pretty cool. People are going to think I'm pretty cool driving this car on the road, you know? They think that all the time, they tell me. They probably do. They're just like, man, that car is amazing. And, you know, all the people here in Colorado driving Lambos and Teslas and Beamers are definitely jealous of my eight-year-old Nissan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't look that cool here, does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It looks downright mediocre here. (laughs) Ridiculous. And even in Des Moines, it's starting to look, uh, it was starting to look a little mediocre. I was starting to see some Teslas and some some BMWs, especially when I go over to West Des Moines. So anyway, that's that's the main thing here is stage one, notice the rise in emotional state, pause and reflect rationally. And stage two, ask yourself, do I want the item for status or because it is scarce? If so, sure, buy it. Be- like the same thing with your book there. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was trying to think of like what, what what's a good example that isn't like ridiculous and a first edition special book editions of signed. stuff. Yeah, that's great. At, at GameStop, they want you to buy the ninety dollars special edition. Here's some cases and some nonsense yeah. with your game. And I'm like, actually, I, I will derive less joy from having to put that stuff on my shelf somewhere. So mm-hmm. I want the cheaper version. Or it reminds me of uh, in, in Daredevil, Kingpin has this this uh, painting that's just like it's just white paint strokes on the wall, and he says something along the lines of, um, you know the price of art should be set by like would it hurt you to not have it and like that's why it can cost so much yeah and the on the other hand if it's just functional if i want these dumbbells because they weigh 15 pounds and i can use them to work out then 
realize that the utility is not affected by the supply. Yeah. And then don't be um, persuaded by an increase in price or a high-pressure sales tactic to buy right now because you can always get dumbbells later, you know? And one thing he didn't mention here, but I did want to mention this, is like, say you're going to buy a car. If you go into the dealership, try not to make it really obvious that you are super enamored with that particular car. Because like maybe they're the only dealer in town that has a Volkswagen GTX in red with the particular rims you want. And if you're just like, I've always wanted a red GTX. I've always wanted those black rims. I'm so happy I found it. And they're like, we're the only people in town that have this particular GTX. Now they're in a much stronger negotiation Yeah, we don't have to cut the price that much to make you think it's a deal. Exactly, yeah. Whereas if you're like, I'm in the market for a hatchback. I think hatchbacks are pretty cool. The GTX is on my list. I've also got the Mazda 3 on my list. And there's a Mazda dealership down the street. Now they know, okay, they got competition. Now they have to compete on price. They're in a much weaker position. Yeah. So don't give away too much information and don't try to seem too excited with a salesperson. And they're going to try to get you excited. Uh, don't take the bait. Anyway, that about does it. This has been a long series. Yep. Book now, over. Book over. Now everyone knows everything there is to know about influence and will never be able to sell anything ever. Just kidding. Because we have read the book and uh, I'm pretty sure that I've fallen victim to influence tactics even after reading the book. Yeah. <laughs> and I will well, continue Well, I mean, to. I'm still going to. Do <laughs> yep, I ever want fine. to buy Girl Scout cookies again? Those are scarcity. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a cookie. I was thinking about that, too. But it's also scarce. Glad you brought it up. Yeah, Girl Scout cookies are a great example. Yeah. And I still, you know, I'll still probably want some later. It's I will buy them. I'm st- I'll buy care. them. <laughs> I will fall for scarcity all the time, particularly with food. I don't care. That's true. I it's like just food. food. Come on. Anyway, guys, show notes for this episode are at CIGpodcast.com slash 199 or in the link down in the description below if you are watching this on YouTube. You can also find our favorite resources, apps, books, gear that we recommend. None of it happens to be scarce, but all of it happens to be useful. And uh, all of those are listed out at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. You'll also find our college packing guide. So if you're looking for stuff for your dorm or stuff to improve your work setup, got lots of stuff there and our list of book recommendations. And we should add this book to that page very soon. I think any book we've done like six episodes on should probably that be on that true. list. <laughs> so we will have that book on that page. Uh, check it out. If you want to support this show, maybe share it with a friend. Tell somebody you know about it. And uh, you can also go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review over there. That is a great way to help improve the show's rankings, get it out to other people, and is much appreciated. Uh, I think that's all we've got. So as always, thank you so much for watching or listening, and we will see you in next week's episode. Thank you.